All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Dustin Atwood here in the studio. Lots of exciting things going on at the shop all the time, but one of the things that we talk about all the time here on the show is being informed and prepared, you know, not burying your head in the sand and then being surprised um, when you could clearly see something coming down the tracks. And I talk about a lot of things. Um, I talk about repower a lot on the show here. And with the way things are going, um, for instance, I have one of my very favorite Chinese buffets here in town and they're awesome. I'm probably not going to stop going, but it had been like seven ninety five forever. And I went in this last week and it was like 13 bucks. And if you wanted a soda, it was two ninety five. And, and I don't begrudge them from that because I know on our side of the world, um, everything's getting more expensive. And the reason that I bring this up and I draw a little bit of a comparison here is if you are informed. Now, obviously, automotive repair is what we do. That's pretty much the main focus that we work every day to be more informed than we were yesterday. What I aspire to be more informed about is things going on globally things going on politically. I when I was younger and I think for most folks out there you don't start out being very political or paying attention to world events. And then as you get older and they start affecting you, mainly as you start paying taxes is is kind of where I think a lot of folks, you know, when you're making, you know, beans, taxes aren't such a big deal, but as you start to be more accomplished, I mean, I think that's the goal as a young person to to get your feet under you, start doing well and be successful. And then as that comes, typically your income typically goes up. And that comes with a whole new set of um, preparedness or informed information that you need to be so you manage your money better. Um, And then as I've gotten older, that uh, political climate has become more important to me. And being informed and watching when good decisions are being made and bad decisions are being made and hopefully paying attention to history and what has happened previously. Because, you know, if you forget history, you're doomed to repeat those same mistakes. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of folks uh, have that same philosophy or or folks that matter have that same philosophy. Or maybe they're doing it intentional. I I don't want to get into conspiracy theorists today. But my point being is the cost of things are going up. That's just the reality. I'm not a gloom and doom type of person. I'm pretty uh, uh, upbeat and positive. I think for every uh, headwind you you run into, there is a silver lining somehow to spin that to be a benefit. And the only way that that happens is that you're not ignorant. Now, I have done a lot of stupid things over, <laughs> over all the years I've been around. But the thing that I have really focused on and sometimes I got to do them wrong a couple of times, but is learning from those mistakes so I don't continue making the same mistakes. And I promise I'll bring this back to the automotive world here in just a second. But what I mean is, <clears throat> if you don't pay attention to inflation and costs going up and you get blindsided by those things, um, then you're going to be in a bad way. If you don't get in with somebody that is an expert in whatever industry that you're seeking to hire for service, you're going to be hit in a bad way. So when I 
when I went and ate lunch the other day, I was like, man, you know, I probably ought to start bringing my lunch or whatever. Um, and that kind of revamped the philosophy and the discussion of repower that we've been talking about quite a bit here on the show. And I've been seeing up in the stores or seeing show up in the store rather. So in the aviation industry, when you are due so many hours or you have a failure, they put a new engine in it or they, you know, replace the components. So it's not uncommon to be flying a 1970 model, blah, 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 because the cost of planes are so expensive. If the cost of planes were much, much cheaper, when you had a problem or you got so many hours, you would just discard them and get a new one. For years, that's how the automotive industry has been. Um, It didn't used to be that way. You know, back, I'd say, you know, up until the boom of maybe uh, the mid-90s, 2000s, that kind of area. And the industry started, well, the culture started to get more disposable. And there still are disposable cars out there. They're just not uh, financially responsible to fix because they're an economy car. They're made to drive for so many miles, and when something catastrophic happens, you throw it away and get a new one. We're reverting away from that. We are getting to the point where if you go buy a new pickup or SUV for the family, even a sedan, you are making a very, very strong financial commitment. Now, if you're in a place to do that, I think that's awesome. I'm in no way, shape, or form somebody that's not going to buy a new pickup or whatever. Uh, I'm definitely going to do that, hopefully many times throughout my lifetime. But I want to be financially informed when I make those decisions. Now, in the climate that we are right now in the automotive industry, if you find a vehicle to drive or to purchase in in this instance, new or used, there's going to be a premium on it. So you had better be on the level and not kind of behind the eight ball, if you will, as far as knowing how that process works and making sure you're doing your homework to the very best of your ability to make a good decision. So what am I talking about with this repower? Well, there's a lot of folks that just sheerly cannot find a vehicle. And so whether it's uh, discussions we've had on the show or just natural uh, law of supply and demand, we're doing some significant reconditioning to older vehicles. I know uh, Christopher, which is a younger technician that we've got, doing a real good job for us out at Republic. I really enjoy working with him. Uh, he just got done doing a significant amount of work to like a 95 or 96 F-150. I mean, we put a new engine in there, got that dude running like a champ. We did some tire work, brake work, essentially did what I consider reconditioning on this truck. And I would say even as little as a year ago, um, folks typically wouldn't have chosen to make this financial investment in this truck. But the bottom line, when we had the discussion with the customer, he said, look, even if I go buy a a used version of this, It's going to be $30,000. So as long as you can keep it under that, go ahead and get me taken care of. Now, we weren't anywhere close to $30,000. Let me make that clear. But the point is, is sometimes it's better to, if you've got a good foundation with a vehicle and you have it evaluated to say, hey, this is worth doing something with. Now, the reason I say that, I think I shared this here a while back. Um, I had a customer who did not bring us the vehicle before they purchased it. And it was a very nice looking uh, Toyota 4Runner. I mean, it was a 
good looking rig from the outside paint was good interior was nice on it um, they brought it in because it needed some exhaust work very shortly after they bought it and when i raised it up it had significant structural frame rot enough to where i probably couldn't fit my fist through the frame which is the structure that everything's built on but I could definitely fit a good portion of my hand and, and fingers through there, and the customer had purchased it not knowing this. So that's really that what I consider vitals evaluation of a vehicle that we do on most services. Now, if you come in for an inspection or an exhaust check, I don't always run through that stuff. But if you're there, I would say 80% of the time we're going to do a vitals evaluation on the vehicle. That's part of it, a good visual inspection. But in this instance, with the older F-150, he's like, hey, I can't A, find a truck, and if I do, it's going to be 30000 even used. Then I'm going to have to pay taxes on it, sales tax. Anybody that's gone to the DMV and had to pay sales tax, uh, that's that little thing that, in my experience, you always forget. You know, if you buy something that's fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000, well, you got another G to come up with in order just to get your tags and license on it, and hey... If you don't do it in 30 days, we're going to hit you with a penalty. So now you got, you know, anywhere from 25 to 200 bucks penalty on there, which I'm extremely guilty of doing. I have no idea why I can't learn that lesson. I digress. Those are all things that factor into how long it takes for you to get a return on the investment that you already own. And so that's where this comes from. We have been doing several older vehicles. I know we've put a few transmissions and some older stuff that even a year or two ago, people would have just discarded the vehicle, those engines. The other thing about that, and the reason that I'm so passionate about doing the repower on them, is that typically the vehicles made, and I think I did a top 10 list, um, in the mid to late 2000s, those are the vehicles that are the most reliable. Now, this old 95 or 96 F-150, great, fantastic truck. Very refined as far as working the bugs out technology-wise. Um, and that's really where, when you get past you know 2010 to 2018 or so, there's a lot of new technology that they're still refining. And that's why those vehicles that were you know mid to late 2000s were so dependable because that technology had really been worked through and any of the problems that they had been having had mostly been taken care of. Now, they're not going to last forever, but we want to make sure that when we do those repower, our main go-to comes with a three-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Now, let that kind of sink in a minute. That is basically peace of mind that for the next three years or 100,000 miles, when I put a transmission in or I put an engine in on most applications, those are ours. At A1 Custom, we are going to stand behind that for that length of time. So God forbid you have a problem, and I'll go into that after the break if you do have a problem, how we handle it, that, <clears throat> pardon me, we are going to take care of business. And that length of time, if you have any trouble, that trouble's ours. We own that, essentially. And then if you do your good maintenance, that engine, transmission, differential, transfer case, etc., final drive components are going to get you many, many of trouble-free miles, even past our warranty period, as long as you take a little bit of love to it. But we do need to take a break. I'm going to talk about what happens if you get sideways with one of them right after this.
All right, welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care, here in the in the house, I guess. So we're talking about repower. Lot of supply and demand problems across the board out there. Um, there was a freighter coming, and I believe it was from Japan, and I think this was last week. I'm sure most of you out there heard this on the news, but it actually struck another freighter and sank. And I'm not sure that they recovered all the crew, honestly. that That's a, a very tragic problem. <clears throat> but the whole freighter, and it was a very, very large freighter. I'm sure everybody saw the size of the freighter that blocked the Suez Canal a few months ago. It was that size of freighter, loaded to capacity. It had automotive parts on it. That was the entire freighter. And it sank and went to the bottom of, of wherever it was. I'm assuming it was close to a port, being it struck another freighter, but... Um, <clears throat> that has been a, uh, you know, supply and demand that's inflated it, obviously with the, you know, the loss of, of the, the, the crew as is definitely a devastating problem. So it continues to be an issue going forward. And we find a lot of folks that are deciding to fix what they own. Now I told you, um, I have purchased personally some Jasper drivetrain components. Um, I put a Jasper engine in an F-150. I had, I don't know, that's probably been eight years ago, I suppose. And I actually did have a problem with it. I drove it probably about 30,000 miles and it developed a noise. Um, Jasper was able to send me out a new unit and they took care of installation. So that was a big deal to me that they stood behind their products. That's why we choose to go with them on most applications. They don't manufacture engines for everything. Sometimes we will go to the OE, whoever it was. You can get what they called, or my dad always called a target engine back in the day. Uh, but basically, it's a replacement engine. So sometimes we go that route as well. Um, but whatever best fits us. And that's why I say most of our replacement, whether it's an engine, transmission, rear differential, transfer case, etc., come with a three-year, 100,000-mile nationwide warranty. So that's a big deal. That peace of mind. You know, every time I go in and I buy something at the big box store, they're like, hey, do you want to purchase an extended warranty? Well, I hate red tape. That is one of my biggest pet peeves um, is the uh, trouble you have to go through in order to use that warranty that's supposed to be, you know, a pretty seamless process. With Jasper, the, the service center takes care of all that. You as a consumer, obviously, are going to be without a car for a little while, but you are going to have us take care of the red tape, and Jasper makes it pretty simple. I had a situation this last week where we've got a customer, I think we put an engine in in 2019, drove it, you know, not 100,000, so it's still covered. Um, they had a catastrophic failure with it, and so we're in the process of getting that taken care of. So things do happen, okay? A1 Custom is not perfect. I am not perfect. It really shows who you are, what the company is that you're a part of, when something doesn't go right. I've, if I've said that once, I've said it a thousand times. It's great when everything's rainbows and ponies and things are just clicking along like nobody's business, very smooth. And that's the goal. I hope that's the goal for everybody out there. I know that's our goal. But <clears throat> it's when you hit those headwinds of how you rise or sometimes you just lay down and let those headwinds run you plumb over. That's not uh, a fan or that's not uh, a philosophy that I really enjoy. 
I have found in life is the bigger the headwind, the more you need to rise to that occasion. And the folks that do that are very far and few in between. And that's very, very frustrating. And because we put so much effort in it as a company, when I deal with somebody else and they don't give me that, it's something I, it's a very hard pill to swallow. So with that being said, hey, we've run into an issue. Personally, I've had it happen on on things that I've dealt with. They stood behind it. I've got a customer that's got a concern here. They're standing behind it, getting business taken care of. That's a huge thing to me. Uh, I actually, it's probably been about 10 years ago, I actually flew up to Jasper to their facility. They actually have multiple facilities. They actually have a distribution center out by Willow Springs, I think. So they're a company that invests in our community as well. That's very important to me. And so while I was in in Indiana, I was able to tour both of their large remanufacturing facilities and talk to the folks that are fixing the problem. So I talk a lot about engineered problems that you and I as a consumer purchase. Okay, So they design the vehicle, they test the vehicle to the very best of their ability in the length of time that they have, and then they sell it to you and me. Well, hopefully you have the second or third or fourth generation of whatever it is you're buying. And I've said that a ton of times because it's the God's honest truth. The first few are going to have flaws that were not ironed out in the testing process because they weren't able to run it through day-to-day operations for an extended period of time. And then you and I have to deal with that. Now, as far as A1 Custom and how we deal with that, a lot of times it's trying to figure out a problem-solving solution. Now, there's a lot of aftermarket companies out there that also do that to benefit you and I to say, hey, this is a common or a repeat failure on this particular whatever system, and I could go on for days about those and how we update or take care of those, as well as paying attention to the OE or the manufacturer and say, hey, this is a, this is not a recall, but it's a service bulletin. We have a known problem here. This is how you update it and take care of it. So the difference mainly, in my opinion, between recall and a service bulletin is recalls are typically safety-related items or catastrophic failure items. And they're, they're a, a narrow window of time to get those taken care of. Technical service bulletins are something at a, at a professional level we have access to. And those are, hey, we have a known problem. We're not going to pay for it from the manufacturer standpoint. But when you have this happen, do this and it'll fix it. The customer still has to pay. So that's really the big difference. But the known uh, fixes for those is very important as far as updating those problems. There are a lot of times even now, because there's so much information and technology in your vehicle, that we're fixing cars and not having to put parts on them. It's a system software update that that's going to continue to be more and more common that you won't be able to bolt a a part on a car. You will surely download the latest uh, software patch, uh, no different than you do with your work computer, home computer, cell phone, etc. And that's how you're going to be fixing cars. Now, Tesla has gone to the next level. And most of theirs are internet ready, and they'll download it for you. It's been a few years ago. I went out to specialty products out in Longmont, Colorado for some training. 
and did an amazing job with some alignment training. But one of the things that they talked about was the tire wear problem on the Tesla at that point in time. And the way they fixed it is they dialed in through the internet and raised the ride height about, oh, I think it was an inch and a half, two inches. And that basically set the camber more correctly to solve the tire wear problem. So just coincidentally, I get home, I get a phone call uh, from somebody saying, hey, can you align my Tesla? And so we got to talking about it. And he was upset that it, the ride, it, the, the appearance of the car was different. So he didn't like the fact that it was two inches taller and he wanted that taken care of. Plus he wanted it to quit wearing tires. So here's the caveat with all electric vehicles. There's something called the right to repair act for internal combustion vehicles. And that, I, I need to look that up of when that was signed into law, but that basically allows you and I, us as an independent automotive repair facility and you as a consumer should you choose to work on your own vehicle or bring it to us, who is a non-dealer, we have the right to parts and information in order to obtain uh, the repair procedure and the parts in order to do so. Because if not, we fall into a monopoly. So just think about this. If all you could do, say you bought a new whatever, if you didn't have the right to do any of your own service or take it to an open and free market for repair work or maintenance, you would not have any choice but to pay the dealer <clears throat> whatever it is they decided to charge you for those services. So at some point in time, a bunch of smart folks got together and said, hey, we need to open this up. Otherwise, we have a monopoly here. Well, back in the day, electric cars were only in movies or maybe it was even prior movies. It was in, uh, you know, science fiction, I guess. And now it is our reality. Well, that Right to Repair Act does not cover electric car information or part availability, nor can you work on your own electric car, nor can you take it to anybody but the manufacturer to have service done to your electric car. So at some point in time, that'll change. I was at a local coin shop this week, and uh, I was in uniform. I was on lunch. <clears throat> and they asked, hey, do you work on electric cars? So I had to give them that spiel, and I thought, man, this is probably something good to talk about on the radio. So I think electric cars are a really cool idea. I like the styling, honestly, of Tesla. However, the ability that you're locked in to only the dealer. Now, here in Springfield, Missouri, as far as I know, we have yet to have a Tesla dealer. So if you have any problems at all, especially stoppage problems where the car won't go, won't do what you ask it to, then you are locked into towing it. Probably, I would assume Kansas City's got one. St. Louis, I'm sure, has one. But I see a lot of Teslas running around town here. So that's great whenever they're doing whatever you need them to do. But the moment that they don't, and they're still a mechanical device, God forbid you hit even, you know, some debris on the road or an animal or whatever and damage something. It doesn't have to be an engineering flaw. And you have a stoppage in there. You've got to get it towed away because this doesn't fall into any kind of local service at this point in time. It's coming. It will happen. Um, at that point in time, we'll cross the bridge when it comes to it. We'll start, or we've already started doing a lot of training as far as hybrid and whatnot. 
Um, we've got several customers that have hybrid vehicles. So we're already working on subsystems, but it's going to get to the point where that becomes more mainstay. And it gets to where, you know, that's going to be a bigger, bigger deal. I've kind of thrown stones, if you will, figuratively, not not actually, by the way, just verbally here, that the battery technology is not up to par quite yet. And it's at the point that that is the Achilles heel, if you will, of the technology there. And that's really where the weak point is. I mean, you look at some of the first generation Priuses. When you needed a battery, it was like $7,000. And God forbid you make a decision and buy one of the refurbished ones. That's a mistake because their you know, life expectancy is so much less. The price is less as well, but they just don't handle it. You have to make sure that you're getting good, clean electricity and being able to store it well. That's the biggest thing, whether it's hybrid or electric that you need to make sure that you're taken care of. But we're down at the bottom of the hour. We're going to jump kind of topics here in a minute and talk about some towing do's and don'ts. We'll be right back after this. <clears throat> All right, welcome back. This is Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care. I will already tell you what the next week's show is going to be about. It's going to be a travel show. Um, when Kyle was headed out from his show, he is uh, a fan of, I guess, the travel shows. And it sounds like they are going to be doing some traveling in his beautiful new GMC pickup this summer. So next week's show will be about travel. What we're going to talk about right now is towing. I I love trailers. Like, it's never that I'm rubbernecking because there's a beautiful woman walking anywhere. I'm rubbernecking when we're going somewhere because there's a trailer. I have, like, <laughs> if I had a trailer dealership, I would be in total hog heaven. But I probably would never sell any. So that, I guess, technically wouldn't be a dealership. But I digress. I tow a lot all the time. And I always have. I've had a, I've had a uh, tandem axle or a double axle car trailer for... I don't know, better part of 15 years, maybe even a little bit longer than that. So I've, I've always been a pickup guy. I've always had many, many, many trucks over the years. And I've always had the opportunity, and having a trailer has opened up the opportunity for different deals and whatnot. Um, what we've gotten into, Stacy and I, this last year, I guess, we went into the travel trailer world, and we actually have a camper and so I've been beefing up my pulling truck, etc., going with it. But there's a lot of things that go along with that that folks don't factor in. And there were some consequences of that that I had show up at the shop, and I thought, man, I need to talk about that. So one of the biggest problems or the reason back in the day, and it's really hard to find a manual transmission vehicle anymore. They're very, very far and few in between. Um but it was to tow with it. A lot of times your your trucks that you worked had stick shift transmissions in them. Now, as the automatic transmission has evolved and gotten very good and even very robust, uh, my towing rig is a 0366 Duramax with an Allison transmission in it. 
that transmission is rock star. And there's a lot of other ones out there that are doing a really, really good job. Uh, the 4L60E that's been in the GMs is a pretty tough one. 4L80E, which is the heavier big brother of that one. And they have really stepped up and shown that they can take and do a lot of work and not really give you a lot of problems with a few caring procedures that you use while you're towing. The reason I bring this up, I had a gentleman come in. He had been towing all winter, he said. I think he had like a single axle enclosed trailer, probably weighed 3,000-ish pounds if I had to guess. And he was exhibit, exhibiting some transmission failure problems, and his transmission was done. So as we were going through the checkout process, and I was making sure it just wasn't something I could repair in the vehicle and it didn't need a replacement or an overhaul, we got a discussion about whether he had been running it in tow haul mode. Now, tow haul mode typically on most vehicles locks out overdrive. Now, even if you're not towing a trailer and you have a whole bunch of weight in the bed of the truck, or you've got a high capacity SUV and you've got the family in there and you got stuff strapped to the roof and you got the little hitch luggage rack in there and you got a ton of stuff on there. You want to lock it out of overdrive. And the way you do that, and there may be some of you out there that know, but in this instance, I thought, man, I need to talk about it, is you typically, on most trucks, SUVs, you have an overdrive lockout button. And normally it's on the shifter. If it's a console shift vehicle, it'll typically be around the console. If you don't know where it's at, it should be in your owner's manual. And I encourage you to read your owner's manual. There are so many things that people don't know that their cars, trucks, vans, SUVs do. Uh, and even if you don't want to read your owner's manual, manual, look it up on YouTube. I guarantee there's a video out there about it. Now, take it with a grain of salt. Watch a couple videos. Make sure you're not watching some crackpot that doesn't know what they're talking about. And just kind of use your best judgment of whether you think what they're talking about is right or wrong. Because just because you see it on the internet or YouTube or Facebook or whatever doesn't mean it's true. I want to make sure that's clear. Uh, but educate yourself on it. So what I'm doing here and we're talking about, what I did with this this uh, customer is say, hey, when you're towing, you have to put it in tow haul mode because that is typically direct drive. So if the engine turns a revolution, the, the transmission turns a revolution, um, if you get into the point where you're in overdrive, the transmission is turning faster than the engine. That's how it works. And you can see it if you have a tachometer that shows you engine RPM. When it shifts into overdrive, it lowers the RPM of the engine. You'll see your tack drop down, you know, five, six, seven hundred RPM, which helps you under light load and cruise save on fuel. That's what it's about. It's also better. I mean, obviously, you're not turning the engine at max RPM, trying to do 80 miles an hour, etc. So you got to make sure that if you're loaded, even if you got a load of firewood in the bed of the truck, a whole bunch of uh, feed, uh, and that's a pretty you know heavy, heavy, dense material. If you're hauling a lot of scrap metal, you got to turn the overdrive off. Otherwise, it creates a lot of heat in the transmission. The design of the torque converter and the way it works if you are lugging it and and making it work in overdrive when it shouldn't be 
and that heat builds up, at some point in time, it breaks down fluid. Um, and it really doesn't take that much heat to break down the fluid. Once that happens, you start losing the ability for it to lubricate what it needs to lubricate, and then it typically smokes the clutches in it. And that's where you get a real bad slip. Those, All those words that I just talked about are money words. They're expensive. When I go in and I talk to a customer and I have to use those words, it costs money. So I'm trying to make sure that I don't have to use those words very often. As far as a company in A1 Custom, we do a lot of repair work, talked about repower, etc. We can handle that. Our philosophy is preventing you from having that happen. That's what you get when you come in. We do a vitals evaluation. We're going to give a good visual inspection, which is very important. Um, we're going to go through a lot of the fluids and the systems on the car and make you aware that, hey, they're in good shape. They're not in good shape. They're way past the service interval. The consequences will be this. And then you have the information and the power to make a decision. So important. When you go buy a new vehicle, nobody wants to sit down and have a little class on how to take care of the vehicle. It just doesn't happen. And a lot of times there's very few people at the dealership that can talk to you about an effective preventative maintenance package. That is a lost art. It is something back in the day. You got a toolkit when you bought your first Model A, Model T, etc. It came with it. I love going to car museums and seeing some of the crude uh, designs. Um, I was at Indianapolis at the Brickyard here. It's probably been 15 years ago. And there's a beautiful car museum. And there was one that didn't even have a valve cover. You literally had an oil can that from the driver's seat, you'd squirt oil to try and lubricate all of the exposed valve train. Now, we're light years ahead of that now. But I'm giving you an example of where we're at. You buy a car now, uh, it may be a year or two before you know what all the buttons do. You may never know what all the buttons do, let alone of the new more than just oil change maintenance that is required. And hopefully you're at least changing your oil maintenance-wise. I have a lot of folks that don't do that religiously. And then we have those catastrophic conversations about what happens now. Um, I had one the other day. It was a very late model. Um, it was a Hyundai, Hyundai. I think it was a Hyundai or Kia. Uh, beautiful little SUV. Had a little over 100,000 miles. It needed an engine. And that's a real tough discussion to have with somebody on a, a very, very good vehicle, in my opinion. Um, I'm not a big fan of the older Hyundai and Kia. Um, the later model last 10 years, maybe 15 years. They've done a very good job getting up with the times and putting a good product out there for a reasonable price. I'd love to say that I was a big fan of some of the domestic stuff, and I am. We talk about that a lot. Um you know, it's not that I want to go overseas with that stuff, but let's be realistic. Sometimes that's your only option because of the, some of the decisions in manufacturing that has been made here in the state. So we need to take one more break. We'll be right back in a moment. All right, we got just a little bit of time left here. 
Given a little discussion about towing, I want to make sure you don't have any transmission failures. So if you have the ability to keep tabs on the transmission temperature, very important. That's something you always want to be looking at. And most late model vehicles do. Sometimes you have to go through the menu on it, but I would strongly recommend that. You typically don't want it any hotter than your uh, coolant temperature. They're, they're shared in the cooling system of uh, different sorts. And so if you can keep it under 200, that's going to be good. You start seeing it 230, 240, you really need to give it a break and pull over. I cannot stress that enough. Even overheats, we have seen an epidemic amount of head gasket-related issues where, uh, you know, most of the time they do bring them to us, but a lot of times I've unfortunately seen the new parts where they've been other places and couldn't get to the bottom of what was going on. And I can see that it's sometimes had full tune-up, coils. Folks have spent a lot of money trying to fix a runnability problem. And then, of course, we get it accurately diagnosed. And it te- it turns into being a internal engine failure. So when that happens, a lot of times it's a straight result from an overheat. And I know I have had car problems out on the road and you try and push it a little bit further oh i'm only a couple of miles from the house etc blah 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 and you really cost yourself big time and that's something that is a very hard pill to swallow even for me you know i mean i can do the work you know at basically cost of parts parts are expensive you get into even ordering parts to do a head gasket or something like that, uh, internal engine replacement, and dress that engine, it's still expensive. So if you get in a situation where, you know, you've got a fluid that's, you know, doing something or a noise, um, you just cannot keep pushing it because the longer you push it, the more it absolutely costs. And I sure don't want you to be in that boat. I don't want to be in that boat. I want to be, you know making sure that it's as dependable and de- dependable as possible. I'm sure I wear Stacy out before we go on a trip because I'm checking tire pressure and I'm checking brakes. All the fluids get checked. I'm rotating and balancing the tires. I'm doing it in advance because I don't want to do it last minute before we go out of town. Every time we stop for fuel, I'm still checking temperature on tires. I'm giving a look on everything, making sure we're in good shape, cleaning the windows, But that's part of the trip process for me because I've had the breakdowns in the past. I've blown tires out on the interstate. I have had, uh, you know, catastrophic failures that leave me stuck on the side of the road and I'm calling a tow truck. It's those experiences and paying attention to them is why I am so adamant about it. Not to mention it's extremely unsafe to be on the side of the road. I don't want to put anybody in that position. I want to do everything that I possibly can, not just for me, but the customers coming into the shop. A lot of times I'm always thankful when when folks come in and have us rotate their tires or, or some basic maintenance stuff like that. A, it protects their investment. But B, it makes sure that the wheel is not seized or bonded to the hub. I've had some wheels that are unbelievably fused to the hub face that if you had a flat on the side of the road and i've actually had customers call and say hey i have all the lug nuts out i can't get the wheel off now we hadn't been rotating their tires like they should i want to make sure that's clear 
And so I had to talk them through how to get that wheel unfused from the hub face so they could change their tire and get in to get the services done. And so as long as we do that on a regular basis, that won't happen. Because we have dissimilar metals, we have a steel hub face, and we have typically on most cars an aluminum wheel, and they corrode or fuse themselves together. And if you don't bust that fusion apart from time to time, when you need it, you're going to be really in a hard spot, hopefully in a decent safe spot on the side of the road, trying to get that thing broken loose. So as long as we're doing it on a regular, it's in good shape. Uh, having the right tools in the car is the other thing. Um, had a good friend of mine here recently. He had a blowout on his camper and was didn't have the right lug size. Thankfully, he had some tools that had been handed down to him forever, and there was a socket in there that allowed him to change it. But that wasn't the same lug nut size that was on his pickup on the camper, so he wasn't prepared for that. I guarantee from this point forward, every time he goes out, He's going to have the right lug size now. That's something that I keep actually in and with our camper is the tools to do so. Uh, with the cost going down so low on cordless impacts, it is absolutely something I would do even not as a technician. Obviously, I use cordless impacts in our day-to-day -day use. That's part of my career, part of my job. But it's to the point where you know folks that don't rely on their career I strongly urge you to, to uh, have one. They're a few hundred bucks. Um, there's some cheap ones, honestly, even at Harbor Freight that are pretty decent and will allow you, even if you're not a super physically strong person, you know, uh, a lot of the torque on or should be torqued uh, lug studs are around 140 pounds. Now, if you've taken it to somebody that doesn't understand the importance of proper torque and they just run them on with a thousand pound impact you have to be very physically strong if you're using a just leverage as far as a lug wrench to get that off a lot of folks will run into that where yeah i can change a tire but i'm not strong enough to get the lug nuts off well if you have a cordless impact make sure it's charged make sure you have the proper socket make sure you have a good adequate jack on a fairly level stable place I say fairly because a lot of times in my experience, when you're on the side of the road, you got to work with what you got. It's gravel or grass or dirt. It's not always level, so you need to be very safe. If you do not feel comfortable or have not had some instruction, I urge you to call a roadside assistance, Is honestly. We believe in that so much that if you have even as small as an oil change service done at one of our stores, on the back of our invoices... You have roadside assistance covered for you. Now, you do have to pay for it at point of use. You call the number. They dispatch somebody. You pay them for it. You send the invoice in, and they reimburse you. So we believe in it that much. We make it part of all of our processes. Very, very important. But if you're a do-it-yourselfer or you just want to be self-reliant, I am 100% behind you and supportive of that. That little bit of investment on that cordless impact makes you, I don't want to say like a NASCAR pit crew, but it's pretty awesome. You know, there's times where I'll stop and, you know, help people that are have a flat tire or whatever. Um, I'm running a service truck most of the time as, as most of my miles I run up and down the road. 
So if I jump out with aluminum quick jack and a cordless impact, within less than five minutes, usually I've got them back on the road and away they go. Side note to this, making sure that your spare has air in it is a, is a pretty important thing that gets overlooked a lot. I carry a little battery-powered air compressor on my truck, and a lot of times when I'm doing that tire change or I'm stopping for fuel on our uh, trips that we're doing, while the truck is fueling, I'm running around checking the air pressure on all the tires and the ones that, and you'll have thermal uh, expansion, if you will, or thermal pressure increase. I'm adjusting the tire pressure to make sure it's in spot, uh, spot on shape. And that saves my tires. If you run an underinflated tire, it, I don't care if it's a brand new tire, let alone an old spare that maybe has been on the car or the trailer for more than 10 years, which six to eight years is really where you need to draw the line as far as the uh, rubber integrity or the, the makeup of the tire. But having adequate inflation is one of the most make-or-break deals while you're traveling. So I've, I've given this tip out many, many times. It's something that I learned from my dad over the years. An underinflated tire puts off heat, or it has increased friction, and increased friction, the byproduct, is heat. So even if I don't want to get the pressure gauge out and you're like, man, that's just too much work. You're crazy. Nobody does that at the gas station. That's just retarded. Just run around and put the palm of your hand on the sidewall of the tire. And if you have an underinflated tire, I assure you that you will notice a difference in relationship to the rest of the tires that are inflated correctly. This is a very, very important trip check procedure that if you'll do that one thing, it can prevent you from having that blowout or flat tire on your travels. Now, if you're in the middle of nowhere and you have a flat tire, hopefully you have a spare. If you don't, that doesn't work out. If you have multiple flat tires, it has happened. you got to get to a tire shop and you're at the mercy of that tire shop. Do they have one in stock? How much is it going to be? Can they get to me? Do they have to order one? How am I going to get there with two flat tires, etc., etc., etc.? Um, also avoiding road debris. It happens. I caught uh, a chunk of spare tire, or it wasn't spare, but it was an exploded tire off an 18-wheeler coming back from St. Louis this last trip we made up there. Thankfully, there was no damage done. I pulled around and checked it. Um, it was one of those things. I was too close to a truck, uh, 18-wheeler in front of me, and I could not see it to avoid it. He avoided it. But then I was right on top of it. And I couldn't get around it. So we got a beautiful day out there. I hope you guys are taking advantage of it. I hope you gleaned at least one thing from this discussion today. This is our last Saturday we're open. I'm headed to the shop. We'll talk to you next week.